Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business podcast, where we talk to interesting people about life and business. We cover their backgrounds, obstacles they've encountered, and find out what drives them. Along the way, our guests share nuggets you can use to drive your success. Reach me directly, D-A-M-O-N at ExitYourWay.us, or check out our website, ExitYourWay.us, for more information. I hope you enjoy our show. All right, everyone, welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I'm your host, Damon Stalka, and with me today, I've got Don Schmicka from the Saga Research and Growth Alliance. Don, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Well, it's 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 quite an honor because I mean, I don't, I you you have trained or spoken to more than seven thousand CEOs. Did I read that right? Yeah, that's probably that's an old number. I think they they gave me an award the other day for speaking to over ten thousand, and that was about a year ago. So, <laughs> so it's ten thousand now. So I can guarantee you, I have had no one on this show that's spoken to ten thousand CEOs. But uh, thanks for being here. It's just going to be sure, an awesome right. conversation. And we're going to today. We're going to talk about achieving CEO success and happiness. And I and I think. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna throw something out there. At, as in in my days of, of of being that in in the businesses, and I know other people that you're working with. Most people don't understand that being a CEO. While people go, "Oh, you're the boss and you make all that money," it's not that not that glamorous on the inside, is it? No, <laughs> no. It's uh, it's a secret that we you know we don't let anybody know about it because if everybody knew, they wouldn't want to be a CEO. Yeah. <laughs> so we need more CEOs. So yeah, yeah. we make them think it's something uh, exciting. Yeah. But uh, no, it's it's hard to lead. I mean, it's um, in fact, I think we opened my my last book, High Altitude Leadership. I think, I think the first sentence is leadership sucks. And, you know, it, it really does. I mean, it's hard to um, be responsible and accountable and then uh have to be the person that's going to be at the buck stops on your desk. And it was interesting. I was, uh, I was studying uh, different mammal grouping behaviors and I got into dogs and um, a couple of things came out of that. Uh, one was uh, I had a couple of corgis at one time I was dropping them off and I started asking the owner, I said, well, how do you I said, so how do you figure out who's the alpha, you know, who's the leader? And she said something interesting. She goes, I find that, no dog wants to be the alpha. I says, why not? Because it's stressful. Because you got all these dogs following you around. And it's just like, they all try to avoid it. So they, until they force someone to be alpha. alpha. And, um, and then I, um, like I would, I would go and do some dog sledding occasionally whenever there's um, company around, I can jump in. And um, it, it came up again. It was... Uh, you know, it's a, a lot of popular speakers are like, oh, well, you know, if you're not that lead dog, the view's always the same. You know what I mean? Like, you got to yeah. be a leader. Or, yeah. And I'm thinking, this guy's never run dogs before. Because, you know, if you run dogs, you know, that's not true. I mean, the front dogs have the hardest freaking time, mm -hmm. you know, because the dogs that are behind them, they're trying it, they're pulling them, they're supposed to be setting the direction, and they're having a tough time because they're, they're, they're plowing through. 
the dogs behind them and they're going this way and that way. And the view is always changing for them. Yeah. <laughs> and once I run a team and it was unbalanced, now the, the sled almost went up on an edge because the dogs are too. Anyway, so being the lead dog isn't not, isn't what it's cracked up to be, I think. You know, it really, it's a lot of work. That's for sure. I think that there is, there's a lot of that too. And, and like you said, when we got started here, it, people think that being a CEO is glamorous and all that, but honestly, it's, it's, it's stressful and lonely. Very lonely. Lonely is a word to hear a lot. Yeah. In fact, I'm, I'm putting together a sort of a group coaching, a cohort coaching system that I will probably, hopefully will release in a couple of weeks where I can have CEOs join this group and I'll go through this education and our research and then have them work with each other. Yeah. Because it's, uh, you know, who else can you talk to that really, you know, does that? And yeah. I, do a lot, I do a lot of speaking for CEO group organizations that are live and um, yeah, it's very helpful for them. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, I like, again, when we're working with clients doing what we do, helping them grow their businesses or, or helping them through an exit transition, uh, it, it, you know, it comes up all the time who makes the decision. It's them looking in the mirror. That's who makes the decision. Yeah, right. And it's right. tough. It's tough doing that every day. And, and second guessing yourself, if you don't have someone at least to bounce some things off and I can, I can imagine that helps an awful lot. Yeah. Well, we, we try to do when we work with companies is try to get the, uh, the truth or the authenticity of what's really going on. Because a lot of our a lot of our work is just finding out what the hell's really going on, and a lot of times people know the answers or they know the problems, <laughs> but it doesn't surface. I I developed this one thing that was a spinoff of something called the uh, iceberg of ignorance, I think. But I thought, wow, it should be called the iceberg of issues, and we literally calculated from various research sources around the world and our own experience that the people at the bottom know what's going on, but by the time it gets filtered up through management. Yeah, up only knows maybe ten or fifteen percent of what's really happening. <laughs> that's awesome because it's so true. Because it's like, uh, you know, you get to one level of management and they go, "Oh, that's really not a problem." But this one is because that's their their problem too, you know. And they move that up, and it just a few drop off all the way. So yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's awesome, Don. So you know, let's let's back up a little bit. I always like to give everybody a little bit of background. And this is where I think is interesting. And it's come up a couple of times already in the conversation. You don't hear many people with a bachelor's degree in planetary physics from MIT deciding to coach CEOs and help right. CEOs. But I hear it in the way you're speaking. You're speaking about research. So let's talk a little bit about your background. Uh, you know, MIT, that's awesome. Tell us a little bit about that. And then what really triggered you to go, wow, I should, I should be helping CEOs or thinking about leadership and researching it and setting up your, your saga research and growth alliance? Yeah, that was, it was a totally unpredictable event. I mean, I, you know, like I almost dropped out of high school. So I was like one of those kids that was playing hooky and yeah, I, uh, I was just bored out of my mind, I guess. And I, until the police said I had to finish my senior year, I got to repeat it. And that just was like, I guess this might've been like April. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. I ain't going through this again. What do I got to do? And they said, you got to complete the entire year. And I only have like, I don't know, two or three months left. So, you know, the teachers rallied and stuff. And I, I actually did a whole year with him two or three months and got out. And then, um, you know, and then I was uh, working at my uncle's gas station and I noticed that, 
you know, I wasn't a rock band at the time. I don't know what I wanted to do. And I noticed a lot of the guys with the fancy cars had an education. I thought, well, you know, I better, I better get an education. So yeah. uh, there was um, community college up up the street in Essex, and I uh, Essex Community College. So I went there, and I don't know what happened. I started getting involved with student activities and exploring computers and yeah. various sciences and anthropology. And I was just get tasting it, right? Because you know, I was just getting started. Anyway, there was a professor there, a physics professor, who has retired from MIT, and. And then there was also a woman in, in student activities who came out of BU and her husband went to MIT and that they said, she'll apply at MIT. I don't know what they saw. I really, to this day, I don't know what happened, but I thought, I don't even know what MIT was. I thought, was, was that a trade school? I mean, what, what is it? What is, and so, uh, so that's awesome. I, that's awesome. <laughs> so I applied and I, I had to go through all this testing and testing and retesting and then, and I got in and I got in, I was like, wow. And that's when things really just blew off because I got into so many, it just blew up. I mean, it just kind of went to, you know, I started off in electrical engineering, computer science, and this one, artificial intelligence was just uh, picking up. And then I uh, got interested in, in planetary physics. So I, I did a joint degree with them. And, and then I, to, I had to make money to pay for my education. So I started working on um, some guidance system stuff for the tried nuclear missile. And then I automated um, Harvard MIT's biomedical lab. So I started branching wow. into earth and biology. And so that's where that happened. So, um, and then I got published in, in the journal of medical instrumentation, like back in the day. So I, that was real. I didn't know where I was going to go after that. I yeah. started doing a medical research and I did do a little bit on uh, medical imaging. And then I got, I went to Hopkins and that's what I did my graduate work. And then I started teaching there. And then they, um, uh, Kathy Trower, who uh, she ended up running a program at a Harvard, she, she was there at the time and she saw something in me. I don't know what it is. <laughs> and I said, you know, I had been working with a number of um, people that had run businesses. And I said, I don't think what you're teaching is what they're looking for in an MBA. And then she said, well, what are they looking for? And so I put together this program. And then she said, well, go teach it. And I'm thinking, what? You know, and it's <laughs> like, so I just finished my graduate work at Johns Hopkins and I started teaching and then I started getting exposed to a lot of executives that were in the executive MBA programs. And I started hearing them complain about the high failure rate of management theory. And that's when it took off. And uh, they challenged me to see if there was a biological issue. So we started going back thousands of years and found out the executives, CEOs and C-levels were complaining about the same thing that our sea levels were complaining about. And then I started going around the world. I started doing these different expeditions in various regions, like in, you know, lost civilizations and remote regions in Africa and Asia. And I started seeing similar patterns. So really? that's when I began to say, hey, there's something about our species that we haven't yet tapped into. So that's what happened. I started doing that research and I started applying it. And then companies started doubling, tripling their sales, sometimes, sometimes 10 times their sales growth. So all of a sudden, that's when I started publishing. That's when I started teaching. And that's why I trained maybe 700 to 1,000 CEOs a year in these CEO workshops on how to do this. And they keep calling me back. So I guess it must be something helpful. <laughs> so that's my story. Sorry for the long-winded introduction. No, no, it's, it's great because it's. It, I, I mean... When you look at it, now you can totally see why and how you got 
to the point to where you're coaching and, and helping CEOs become more effective leaders and do what they need to do mm-hmm. because it's uh, it, it, there are longstanding problems and the way that you've, you've researched it around the world from long ago to mm-hmm. now, and then helped cover it. I've got to imagine that makes what you do a bit different than anyone else is doing and um, has a lot behind it. Yeah, it is. It is a little different because we came at it from the opposite direction. I mean, everybody's, um, you know, writing and reading these uh, best-selling books and the, these great companies. And every year we have this great company list. Yeah, uh, but none of the authors warn readers that the list is going to change in eighteen months. You see, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we started looking at doing autopsies. So we stopped studying successful companies and we started studying the dead. And that's what really made the difference because um, there was a lot more of them. So, so we had a lot more. Yeah. yeah. But we were able to see what was missing and what went wrong and why perfectly good management theories would fail. And um, that led us into how humans work and what was missing and all that. So really, all I did was study the dead, figure out what happened, and then started applying it in companies. And that's it took off. So here I am. That's, that's cool. That's cool. So now you've written a couple of books. The first one, I believe, is The Code of Executive. Yeah. And then, and then you did High Altitude Leadership. So let's talk a little bit about The Code of Executive. What were you, what were you talking about there? Oh, that was... Um, I just finished an expedition in the in the region of the Himalayas, just below China and above India, next to Tibet. It's a, like a, a lost civilization at the time, and um, I it, it was kind of funny. I was trying to get this one book out on tribal leadership, and I was having a real hard time with my agent. And um, he, it, it's funny because like years later, now everything's tribal tribal stuff in these books. But at the time we were really looking at making something happen. And this, I was frustrated. So about a month into this expedition, uh, we were all bored and there's not much to do because there's no electricity. There's no, uh, wow. Wi-Fi, there's just, it's you and you know, you're boiling water and eating yak meat and rice. <laughs> yeah. So we play this game. This one game was a, um, Tibetan fortune telling game. <clears throat> and part of the game is you had to come up with a life problem. So I came up with this problem with this book. I said, I just, you know, it's a bunch of false starts. I'm not able to get my agent to accept what I'm doing. And he's pushing me. I, I appreciated that. But so the uh, game ended up with me and my my stuff was, uh, you know, you got to give it up. Stop it. It's not going to happen until you, you can't go on until you give that up. So I thought, wow, that was interesting. So anyway, we expedition, I get back to the States. Um, and then I called my agent and said, look, I'm just going to stop. You know, I did. I just shut it down. And um, within 30 days, I found this manuscript that Oxford University had the rights to. And I called them and they gave me the copyright access because it was 700 years old. Yeah. And it was uh, written by Dr. Al Sadler back uh, in a, a really esteemed professor at University of Australia. And I read a lot of a lot of Oriental studies back in the day. It was the Department of Oriental Studies. That was 50, 75 years ago. But he translated this thing. So they gave me permission uh, to copyright uh, a book on it, and so which I did. And what was interesting about watching this training, man, the training 
that they did through this manual, uh, it was the samurai. And that's how they train their leaders to run companies. And wow. I took that and I thought, wow, this is amazing. And that's when I published it. And it went into like, I don't know, 15 languages. And so I started talking about how to lead like that. Because I found out later on when I was at Hopkins that a lot of what they were doing was stimulating certain evolutionary genetic and uh, neurological processes in the brain. And that's why it was working. So when we started training management teams to do this, we saw, we saw the same result. Yeah. So higher speed and decisiveness and problem solving and, and, and teaming for the cause. It was, it was really neat. I, I love doing the book and I just love doing that research. It was great. Wow, that brings up a lot in my head. I mean, <laughs> if, if, if people don't, people that have watched me a few times and they know I write a ton of notes because I'm thinking through this and you're talking about uh, taking a manuscript that was fairly old yeah, and then turning that into a, into a book that is very applicable to today. Mm -hmm. So my question is, did we know how to be really good leaders long ago? And we've just only certain people have known it throughout time. Well, we're here. <laughs> yeah. We're here. So something was going on. Uh, hopefully yeah. we can keep it going for a little while longer. But um, yeah, we did. I mean, how else you know, people like I use this when I, I do like these workshops and, and companies mm -hmm. where I'll spend a few hours with the executive team or directors, whoever they want to bring in. And I start, I, I I like to evoke blinding flashes of the obvious, you know, because it's like, well, were we really great back then? I'm like, okay, let me ask you something. You're, you know, let's go back 10,000 years. You know, you're in Africa and you're deciding like, you know, we're going to start migrating. We're going to like leave our safe homes and villages and we're going to go north and east and west. And yeah, we're probably going to die, but we're going to give it a shot. And you figured out how to get these humans to follow you. Yeah, I think that was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Most leaders today couldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. if people back then were able to do it, they were a little better leaders. <laughs> or they had to be pretty good at that time. I think they were triggering something, which we can still trigger today. You still see good yeah. leaders doing these things as well. So that's what I love about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So you talk about exotic, uh, exotic expeditions again. When you talk about somebody that's doing CEO work, working with CEOs, you don't correlate the two together that, that often. <laughs> so, so let's talk about some of your exotic expeditions. Where are some of the places that you go, man, I, I just don't believe my work has taken me there. I never really plan it out that much. I, um, my, the point is, is that I, I always want to learn something. I'm a chronic learner, you know, and that's my, that's what I have assumed as my role in life. I want to learn, I want to teach and help people, and then I'll die. But then there are a lot of mini deaths. That's a that's coming out of my my new uh, online education program called uh, How to Slay Dragons, and it came out of the samurai research because the first chapter was on death. So I can get into that later. But to answer your question, um, I wanted to learn, and I knew that I couldn't learn from what was already published. I mean, I could. I always do learn a lot of things, and I have some brilliant people I hang with that uh, teach me a lot of stuff. But I, to me, to, for me to test the biology of leadership and and how how to understand why 
there's such a high rate of uh, failure rate in strategic planning and management theory that I had to figure out what, what was going on. And so when I went to these remote regions, I could see how they organize, see how they lead and see what's, what's common. Because if it's common, it may be more genetic than we think. And if it's that, then I can start teaching biological leadership or genetic leadership, something that's not a fashion trend, something that's worked for thousands of years. And from the work that we do with companies, it works today. And that's how you know we're able to take company performance to levels beyond what they ever imagined. Because we're not doing anything magical. We're just using what's already always been there. So that's why I would take off. And and I just get pulled into these things, you know, like, you know, I mentioned the Himalayas, but um, I'll go throughout Africa and various regions just to see what I can learn. I and it's, I always stumble into something, you know what I mean? Like I was in mm-hmm. North Africa um, a couple of years ago <clears throat> and we had, um, what was it? We had to figure, well, I wanted to see originally how the, um, the Muslim, Christian and Goth, um, these these um, civilizations merged and coexisted and spread and connected in various ways. And I was curious of that because there are a lot of companies saying, how can I get my employees to connect? How can we become, you know, one organization without a fragmented culture? So of course, mm-hmm. so I went to Spain, great stuff I learned there. And then, um, and then I went to North Africa to see what it was like on that side the following year. And then I ended up um, finding out that I could, hire some people to get me into the Atlas mountain regions and get up to some altitude to visit uh, a tribal community that I didn't know it at the time, but they had been there for like eight to 10,000 years. Oh, wow. So, you know, whenever I get a chance to visit a 10,000 year old company, I'm going to go and say hi. Yeah. Because what are they doing? How did it happen? I tell you, it was amazing. It's, um, it was up in the Berber regions, and it has to be one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to. I remember uh, I, I drug my daughter up there, and uh, we're in this high mountain pass, and she looked down this valley, and she says, Daddy, there's so much beauty here. My eyes can't hold it all. And wow. I've never had that experience, but that's exactly what I was thinking. So my daughter, Rowan, she was just, she's been with me on a few of these expeditions. And uh, yeah, we, we always learn something. And I think we all should get out there and just look at the world differently because we get too, you know, we only get what's strained through our news media, you know, and it's yeah normally not accurate. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. And like you said, when you, th- just a couple things here, one of the things is it's really intriguing about what you've been doing in those expeditions is, is looking for commonalities in very diverse and remote locations because that ties back to actually, as you're saying, genetic yeah. things that we can tap into. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. And it's been, it's been great because I'm one of mine. I love to learn and then I love to help and teach so I can bring that stuff back. And it all doesn't work. I mean, I made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Uh, try some things here, some things there. But, um, but the few things that do work now, you know, it, 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 we use it and, yeah. um, and we look at the impact. And each company has a different way of identifying that. You know, mm-hmm. capitalist enterprises is usually profitability and things. But um, I find that humans have lost sometimes the ability to really um, define what winning means. 
And, you know, I think that's the first thing a leader has to do is, is say, look, what does winning mean? If I'm going to lead my people, like, why? Like, yeah. you know, how do I define winning? And um, there's nothing to win. Then what do we need to lead for? You know, just stay where we are and manage it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good point because there's a lot of companies that just flounder around like that with, we're just here. Yeah. You can make a lot of money like that. You can, I mean, they can make money yeah. and employ a lot of people and things are good. But what, what is it? It's just like you said, why are you in business? If it's, if there's not a reason. Well, so yeah. And I think uh, sometimes that's one of the problems is we can get a little complacent and it's easy to do that when there's no competition. Yeah. You know, because then you're just like, yeah, we're okay. We, we do a little fishing and we, you know, make some money and, and it's okay. And if you're fortunate, you know, God bless you, you you'll last, it'll last and you'll retire and you'll pass it on and everybody have a good time. Unfortunately though, uh, some people experience competition. Yeah. And those that are complacent risk dying. Yeah. And we see that all the time. I mean, uh, how many industries have been disrupted? by new management approaches or new technologies or more recently from COVID warfare, right? Supply chain disruptions affecting mm -hmm. that. So um, those that are not insulated because of luck or, or maybe plan to be insulated from competition um, are, are having a hard time. So it's, it's almost like leadership seems to fall like this bell curve. And there's on one end, it's like enlightened leaders. Hey, we have to keep pushing the limit. We have to keep expanding. We have to keep, you know, just driving forward and 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 just pushing ourselves to new levels of performance. At the other end, it's people in pain. It's like they're the ones that got disrupted. They're the ones that are like, wait, yeah. it's not easy to make money anymore. And what got us, you may not get us there. And then you get the people in the middle. And I think in the middle, it's kind of like if they're lucky, they'll stay there, but they're going to go either way. You know, they're either going to get enlightenment or they're going to get pain. And either way, that's going to cause them to ask different questions like, huh, you know, what do I need to fear about tomorrow? And am I, am I, prepared, am I prepared to win in the face of that? And that's a good question. That is. That's an awesome question. What, do I, what am I going to fear tomorrow? And how am I prepared to face understanding that? Mm -hmm. I didn't paraphrase it right, but that was good. That was good. Because it's really, I mean, because no no leader, no true leader is not afraid. No true leader can understand every risk. They're just prepared better to to address them when they go forward. Yeah. Yeah. It, and that's, uh, I heard several quotes somewhere. And one one came from my colleague, Susan Barry, who's been working with me for 30 years around with, with companies that work with. And her son came in and said, you know, she said, but that was brave what you did. He said, no, I wasn't brave. I wasn't afraid. You know, so it's like you, you need to be afraid to have courage and bravery. Right. I mean, because there's nothing to be afraid. It was just another day at the office. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that's that is a great example, though, too, of of mental ability and, and really putting yourself in the right uh, being prepared in the right frame of mind, because if you. I think anyway, that if, if you, that is a fair amount of being a good leader is, is 
as you learn these lessons, as you put these things into play that, that help you keep moving up the ladder, yeah. bigger challenges just become a day at the office. Yeah. Right. You know, you, you learn and you grow and you try to face greater challenges in the future. And mm -hmm. so you look at like what happened years ago and it's like, that was a big deal. And later on, as you get more experience, eh, it wasn't such a big deal. There was some st research studies shown that uh, the reason we tend to have economic catastrophes every 10 or 15 years or so is because the people that lived through the last one retired. <laughs> so they're really? no longer there. So the new people make the same mistakes that the previous generation did. And that actually begs the, the concept of, you know, how can we pass along wisdom? You know, right now people retire. Like it's, a, yeah. it's just, okay, it's my time. But there's nothing in place to say, wait a minute, before you do that, your last several years is passing your wisdom along to those behind you because they're going to be hitting maybe the same thing you hit, but they're not going to have your wisdom and you're going to, you know, we're all going to suffer for it. So I think that's something we need to think about as leaders. That is, that is just mind blowing because it, it is, it's, it's truly, and especially now too, uh, you know, with the generational changes that we're seeing right now, uh, and in, in, it's even worse in some industries. I, you know, I, I work a lot with manufacturers and, and I, someone told me the other day that the, you know, the average age of manufacturing is something like 50 years old or some darn thing like yeah. that, you know, and when that, when that rolls out, there's a lot lost. That's, I know it's going to, it's a little crazy. And I was doing uh, some, uh, I, I'm, I'm just really blessed to have some great people around me. Like I'm starting some conversations with, Dr. David Buss, who was like one of the founders of evolutionary psychology. And maybe next year we're going to do a book or something. We're bouncing around on some ideas. But, um, you know, I just I was just with Cy Wakeman at her, at her house in Cabo. And she she wrote Reality-Based Leadership, which is a fabulous look at. It's, it's been on the New York Times bestseller list. I learned a lot from listening to her. I, and I, I spend maybe an hour every other week on the, uh, uh, with uh, George Stalk, who started the time-based competition thing 20 years ago. And he's written a number of Harvard Business Review articles. And his latest one is good called Disruption. It's on disruption. And to, to your point, it's like, yeah, we got these people in their 50s and 60s getting ready to retire. And George said something to me the other day. In fact, I'm going to try to record all of these names I just dropped. <laughs> We're yeah. going to start doing some podcasts. So we get yeah, yeah, you do. Because I feel selfish because I'm with these people an hour or two a week. And my, I'm just enjoying everything. And it's and no doubt. Have, you know, go on. So I'm trying to capture this for everybody. But um, he said that something about this that I think it's an interesting paradox. On one sense, we need to capture the wisdom of great old leaders that are getting ready to retire to mm -hmm. pass on to the next generation. And we don't, a lot of companies don't have that formal process. On the other hand, we need to not get stopped by old beliefs. Yeah. You see, because one of the things around disruption that, um, that he brought up in one of our, our conversations is is that you know legacy companies when they start getting disrupted respond with legacy patterns or legacy weapons or, or you know legacy uh competitive you know uh, like what made them great they keep doing it yep they don't stop and they need to stop they need to realize that your legacy patterns of winning no longer are effective and so therefore you need so so there's a paradox. We need the ancient wisdom, but we don't need to be stopped by the old thinking that might 
keep us from winning tomorrow. And Amazon's like a perfect example. Everybody talks about Amazon. Look what it did. I mean, yeah. you know, and the, and the industries that it disrupted, what happened to the competition? They responded with old legacy ways of responding. And they, you know, when you look at these retail chain shutting, chains shutting down hundreds of stores, you know, that wasn't part of their strategic plan. Yeah. You know, something was missing in their strategic plan. And um, so anyway, that's uh, just something about thinking the paradox and leadership. Well, this you mentioned it a little bit. And that, this is this is going to be exciting. You're going to start a podcast or two, you said here. Yeah. Um, you could have some very interesting guests here. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I'm, I'm blessed to have access to some of the greatest minds in the world and that uh, they'll actually talk to me. <laughs> yeah. And that they'll actually let me record them and pass it along. So, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about teaching. And I'm finding that, you know, I love being in a classroom. I love being live. I love doing workshops in companies or in association speeches and things. But there's something about the media that you have pioneered way ahead of me on doing these kind of things. And I'm just starting to get into it and I'm finding it really a lot of fun. I mean, doing these kind of podcasts, I mean, the scalability, I mean, right now, if you were a speaker you yourself, you could probably get in a conference with a hundred people, 500 people, but what you're doing here can reach thousands, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, so I'm, yeah, I'm excited about that. So I'm trying to learn from guys like you. I think this, I think you're going to do just fine. I just, that uh, just fine Don, because I tell you that the, the knowledge that you have and the, the, just the, the conversation around this is so interesting when you look at your history and look at the things that you're, your research and, and the depth of your research and the, the paths that your research has taken you provides this foundation that helps you in, in your CEO leadership stuff that man, it's just like, I, I just, there's such a strong foundation here. Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah. It's yeah. And I never planned it, but I know when I do my, uh, my speeches, um, you know, different, it could be association meetings or, or these companies I talk about, I always ask, uh, you know, have you heard this before? Cause as a scientist, I always want to do new things. I want to keep pushing the boundary. Mm -hmm. And so a dozen times I'll go and ask, and as long as I keep saying, no, we've never heard this before. This is amazing that I'll keep doing it. Cause I think for a, a teacher, that's the, um, that's what gives you the jazz, right? Yeah. Is to have people like have their minds expanded a bit and that that's a reward. And I try to be a good teacher. So I, I work at it. I screw up a lot, but I, I try to get it right once in a while. Yeah. That's the only way to get good. You got to screw up an awful lot to be really good. <laughs> One of the phrases I've been using is, uh, is like, uh, so little time left, so many more mistakes to make. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have to write that down because, yeah, I got a lot to make. So little time, so many mistakes. Yeah. So you've, you, you've got to start, you've got a course that you just started recently or going to be uh, doing uh, is How to Slay Dragons. And it's talking yeah. about horrifying problems, stopping, stopping us from a truly achieving success and happiness. That's an interesting title to a very tall, um, or, or tall <laughs> task. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, that came out of, uh, as I ventured into this 
area of filming and getting to online uh, course courses that I could offer. Um, about a year or two ago, I, I developed, because it was COVID, I mean, talk about adapting, right? So <laughs> I, I turned my cigar room into a studio, got online and tried to figure out how do you do a studio, right? And so how do you film? How do you script? How do you do lighting and green screening and special effects? And all? So I started doing films and try to make them entertaining and fun. And I put out something called Becoming Samurai. And Becoming Samurai was designed for executives who wanted to go to a new level. And then I thought, well, you know, a lot of people were saying this should be out to the general public. And I started working. Um, I, I hired one of my coaches. Is um, You've heard of Simon Sinek. Uh, Star mm -hmm. Final. Yeah. So the guy that helped him figure that out was uh, Mark Levy. And so I uh, hired Mark. And so Mark was looking at my stuff. And this guy's like a brand genius, right? Yep. And he starts looking at stuff. And he starts, somehow I mentioned dragons or something. And it came up like, that's it. So it's like, that's what happened out of that whole thing. I still, I still see Mark every week. So he's still helping me through this. We created How to Slay Dragons. And that is, you know, I'm not out to say, here's how to do better and solving problems. And I want to those problems that are, you haven't been able to solve. Because when I look at the failures of training and development, the courses were good, but people didn't implement. Yeah. So I was more interested in why does a, a self-help book or a, personal development course, or even a, a, a business training program. Why do they fail? Why is it that it's great stuff, but people don't implement? And that's when I ran into this issue of dragon. There's some dragon stopping you. And until you slay that dragon, you're going to stay stuck. And I was able to go back and look at the psychiatric and psychological models when I went back to look at Jung and, and Freud and all, that there are these patterns that do stop us. So I put it into this program, you know, like, uh, I don't know, five or six weeks mm -hmm. five videos that are very short, five or seven minutes with some homework exercises to look at, you know, what, what are your dragon problems? What are the problems that aren't normal problems, but dragon problems that are stuck? Yeah. You know, it could be a bad marriage, dead end job you feel stuck in. I mean, it could be anything, right? I mean, kid problems, this problems, you know, I've been through them all, so I kind of know what that's like. Yeah. And, and then it's a matter of looking at what's the dragon there and then how to slay it. And I, I found that the slang is, is a good metaphor because the dragon's attached to what we're attached to. And a lot of times our suffering, I know I'm sounding Buddhist, uh, a suffering is from what we're attached to. And until we kill it, until we slay it, we're going to stay stuck. And when I look at my life, it was me stopping and killing what it was I was attached to that allowed me to move forward. The book, The Code of the Executive, right? That Tibetan fortune telling game. If I didn't come back and tell my agent, it's dead, I'm killing it. I never would have been able to move to the next level. So the course is all designed around that. I try to make it fun, but it's also a serious course. And uh, we're thinking of putting, you know, some group coaching around mm -hmm. it, everything else. So, you know, I've always got something going on, but that's, uh, yeah. that's the latest thing. Well, and what you what you said is a lot of people talk about it a little bit differently in, in that you have to give up things to move forward. Yeah. But it is like that. Most of the stuff that we, I mean, when you look at it, the things that hold us back is, is you got to look in the mirror again because <laughs> that's where most of the most of the blame happens or not the blame, but the cause of the problems are. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's uh, hey, this is incredible, man. It's just so, so cool talking to you because you the research that you've done the knowledge base that you've built 
is so evident in the in the words that come out of your mouth, the courses, the book, and the stuff you've done. It's 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 incredible, man. Um, so what what gets you up now? I mean, you've you've done this for a little bit. What what gets you up and just goes, man? This is why this is why I mean, just just like in, you've finished one and you're you've talked to you know you got a bunch of people in a room you talk to them and like this is why I do it. What is that thing? I think it's uh, I I think. I'm trying to think about how to, but we back, we've gone back. I people go back and say to your past hundred clients and companies you worked with, what was it they got out of you? And, and it was interesting. They had a hard time answering the question because they, there was so much that happened. They couldn't mm-hmm. put it in a box. Yep. And they said, most of it was like, they changed our thinking. And I think that's, what's interesting. You know, it's like you could put as many models and frameworks and, ideas together but if it doesn't alter your thinking it will not alter your decisions and it will not alter your behavior so what gets me up i think is is changing the thinking of humans and hopefully for the better because at the end of the day if i can if i can help uh in some small way put a dent in leadership so that it impacts civilization that gets me up that 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 is so great. You, you you said so much in the last 30 or 40 seconds there <laughs> that if people didn't listen to any of it and they listened to that, it would be worth it. Because yeah. you're right. If your training alters their thinking, it will change the outcome of their lives. Yeah. And the reason I think CEOs and, and business leaders are pivotal in that is because when I started doing this research over thousands of years, and then I read that book, Guns, Germs, and Steel. I don't know if you read that, or but um, if you're listening to this, pick up a copy of that Pulitzer Prize book, Guns, Germs, and Steel. He went back and did this absolutely uh, fascinating, in-depth scientific research on why a certain race would dominate more than another. Now, that was really politically incorrect, but he was really he was in a tribe somewhere. And I hope I'm saying this correctly, but. I forget where he was, but somebody came up and they said, why, why did the white race go so far? And, and in his book, he wanted to find out as a scientist. And what was interesting was shocking. It was real estate. It was where you were at the time. In other words, he went in to look at, you know, were there crops that were there domestic crops where you could grow food? Mm-hmm. Some places you can, yeah. you know, were there domestic animals, domestic animals where you could put these animals to work. Uh, and, and so could you create agriculture to create more calories per acre so that you could feed scientists, philosophers, engineers, or did you all have to just get up and try to eat that day? And that was amazing. And it turns out that the migrations of Africans that went up and then apparently to the West hit spaces of the world where there was an advantage for all those things. Now, how did knowledge and and civilization evolved it was from the trade routes between all of these civilizations so an idea here could transfer to an ideal idea uh, hundreds or thousands of miles away because Mm -hmm. somebody was on a trade route somebody was traveling that's business mercantilism Mm -hmm. business helped these ideas proliferate and guns germs and steel went into this thing 
that kind of opened up my eyes to, wow, if it wasn't for CEOs and business leaders, we might not have civilization. Wow. Because you, you I got to read this book. It's yeah. because it's, it's so, it's, that is such an incredible way to look at it. And you're right because the, you know, it's in that as now everything moves at the blink of an eye, but that hasn't been that way that long. Yeah. And, and when it wasn't, that's the only way is trade happening. How ideas spread. Right. How do you think we got our number system? Do we yeah. make that up? No, we borrowed it from the Middle East, the Arabic num numeral system. And I think somebody made that up in Persia. I don't know. We, we exchanged ideas. And so business, I think if it's going to impact civilization, if CEOs continue to impact civilization, I think it's in this area of continuing to have vibrant trade and mercantilism throughout the world. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Don, it's been, it's just been just incredible having you on. Uh, I, man, we could talk for a long time. Just to, <laughs> it's so much fun talking to you, but I'm, 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 we're going to, we're going to finish for today. We'll just say that. So what are some things that you got exciting coming up? You got your course, how to slay dragons. That's, that's out or coming out. You got that going on. What else? And, and then, well, how, how can people get a hold of you then after that? Well, what's, what's really exciting right now, now that I've learned how to do media and filming and all that is I'm trying to catch up to guys like you and maybe get this out, you know, in the media through podcasts and online uh, education delivery. And um, so my main website is sagaleadership.com, S-A-G-A, Saga. Mm -hmm. We stole that from the Vikings, sagaleadership.com. And um, we're going to be, I'm going to try to put everything there so people can get access to it. And, you know, how to slay dragons that'll have its own site too. And we're yeah. trying to, you know, just get it out, but get it easy to access. So wherever you want to go, wherever my head's going, we'll figure that out. Right. But, yeah. um, and I just started a newsletter called, uh, what did I call it? What's, what's, on, what's on Don's mind now. <laughs> so we can go on the we can go on your website and sign up for it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. So that's, okay. That's all new and starting. So I'm loving it. I'm having fun. Oh, good stuff, Don. Well, thanks so much. Today we've got uh, Don Schmanke on the Faces of Business and from Saga the Saga Research and Growth Alliance out there training CEOs all over. It is just a pleasure to have you on today, Don. Thanks. It's been fun. I, I enjoyed talking. You got you got a great way of pulling it out. So keep going and doing great work. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Okay. That means a lot. Thanks so much. Well, everybody that's listening, hey, I hope you come back again. We'll be back here next week having more great guests on. And until then, we'll be out for now.